1: Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. Make some noise for the richest man in the world.
0: You just watched the world's richest man get viciously booed at Dave Chappelle's show in San Francisco, and there's more videos that I want to play for you. But first, I've got to ask the question, what was the point of Elon Musk being brought up on stage? Because very clearly the crowd wasn't receptive to him being there, one, because they were there to see Dave Chappelle, and two, It was evident that there wasn't really anything planned. There was no bit. He was just on stage pacing awkwardly back and forth while the crowd loudly booed him. And I've got to ask, why was he there? Was he going to be part of a comedy skit? Was he going to do a bit himself? It seemed like Dave Chappelle brought him on stage to just be like, look. And the crowd was like, okay, boo, back to you. So I, I just, I don't know what Dave Chappelle expected to happen here. I think that Maybe he believed the crowd would like Elon Musk because they're kind of similar, ideologically speaking, they're both transphobic, they're both anti-SJW. So maybe he thought that this would go differently, but no, the crowd wasn't receptive to Elon Musk being there. And you can tell that Dave Chappelle started to get angry and proceed to scold the crowd because they would not stop booing for minutes.
1: Tough on the head, like, sounds like. I, I, but you know notice one thing. All those people are booing, and I'm just I'm just pointing out the obvious. You have terrible seats, but I understand. <laughs> All coming from way up there, nigga, the last minute. Now I'm playing the niggas boo. Boo. <laughs> you niggas can boo. This nigga gave me a jetpack last Christmas. <laughs> fly right past your house. Nigga boo these nuts and you'll fly on my jetpack. That's how we like to chill. We do all the shit. Um, Dad, what should I say? Don't say
2: nothing. Okay. It'll only spoil the
1: moment. Did you hear that sound, Elon? That's the sound of pending civil unrest. I can't I wait to see which story you decimate next, motherfucker. You, you shut the fuck up with your moves. There's something better than you can do. Moving is not the best thing you can do. Try, nigga, to make it what you, you want it to be. I am your ally. I wish everybody... In this auditorium, peace and the joy of feeling free and your pursuit of happiness make you happy. Amen. Thank you very much, San Francisco. No, no city on earth has ever been
0: So fuck you for booing, but also I hope that you find happiness. Amen. What is happening? I swear to God, Dave Chappelle's head is so far up his ass that he has not seen daylight for years. How did you think that this would go over? Why is Elon Musk at your comedy show? Why would you think that people wanted to hear from him? He's irrelevant. They came to see you, and yet you're seemingly angry that they're booing at him. I just don't get it. And my favorite part was when Dave Chappelle was like, uh, well, you could boo all you want, but he sent me a Christmas gift pack last year or something like that. Oh, OK, why didn't you just mention that up front? Because if we knew that he sent you a Christmas gift pack last year, then we wouldn't have booed. Why would we care about that, Dave? What? <laughs> I can't I, I can't handle these out of touch, rich snobs who think that they're better than everyone. And if something that they say or do doesn't land, then they immediately take to blaming the audience and not themselves for just flailing. And you could tell that even Elon Musk didn't know why he was there, because he said, Dave, what should I say? So you mean to tell me that you brought out the world's richest man to just say, look, and you thought that that would suffice? I just I don't understand what Dave Chappelle was thinking here. And I've got to play probably the most lethally cringe worthy clip from this entire thing when Elon Musk, he tried to be more endearing to the audience and it did not go over well. painful. Just painful. And people online are saying that he said, I'm rich, bitch, but it sounded like he was saying, I'm Rick, bitch, if you listen. And I listened multiple times. So I think that he actually fucked up the line that he was trying to say. It's either I'm rich, bitch, or I'm Rick James, bitch. But instead, Elon Musk seemingly said, I'm Rick, bitch. That's not the line. I just... I don't know what to say now elon musk on twitter he responded to the booze after someone pointed it out and he's very clearly feeling some cognitive dissonance because after he purchased twitter and got a lot of weird right-wing freaks to start cheering for him i guess that he thought normal people would like him but he's still not very liked. So he wrote this. Technically, it was 90% cheers and 10% booze. Bullshit, except during quiet periods. But still, that's a lot of booze, which is a first for me in real life, frequent on Twitter. It's almost as if I've offended San Francisco's unhinged leftists. But nah. Now, Alejandro Caraballo ratioed him with this perfect drill tweet, which reads, and another thing, I'm not mad. Please don't put in the newspaper that I got mad. But he's definitely mad. And he's coping by claiming that he was booed because the unhinged leftists didn't like that he was there. Elon, you were at a Dave Chappelle stand-up event in the year 2022. Dave Chappelle is one of the most vicious transphobes in America. He's made it abundantly clear that he hates trans people. So anyone who was there either also hates trans people, which makes them not a leftist, or they were there to see Dave Chappelle despite his obvious and blatant transphobia. So to chalk this up to being hated by the unhinged leftists, it's just... It's complete bullshit. But yet he's taking this personal and he thinks it's the wokesters that booed him. So he tweeted this out. Also, the woke mind virus is either defeated or nothing else matters. Yes, because the woke mind virus is a more salient problem than anthropogenic climate change or the fact that people die every single year because they don't have healthcare. It's definitely the woke mind virus. Look, I I think that he believed that he was in safe territory. He was up on stage with a fellow transphobe and thought that the audience would love him. But no, just because you have a lot of weird right wingers online cheering for you doesn't mean that normal working class people like you in real life. Normal people don't want to simp for billionaires. You're part of the problem. You're part of the owner class, the donor class. You're an oligarch and they see you as a reason why they're currently living in poverty because people like you are so greedy. You hoard your wealth, treat your employees like shit. So even if they were there, to see Dave Chappelle, and they're not necessarily that woke. Still, they can acknowledge, working class people can acknowledge that people like you are the problem, Elon Musk. They see through the pandering. And I think that Scarlett Red put it best. Elon is discovering the one thing that money can't buy is the love and respect of regular people. And that is exactly correct. Just because you have money doesn't mean that people are automatically going to respect you. In fact, most people see you as a fucking loser, Elon Musk, because you are you're awkward, you're stupid, you're unhinged, you very clearly didn't get bullied enough in school, you're just a dumb person and we're stuck with you because you have money and because you have money, Well, you also have power in a capitalist society. So we just have to deal with you buying companies and being visible for the foreseeable future because you love attention and you refuse to go away. But I mean, so long as you are going to be in the public eye and you continue to act like a buffoon and make a fool of yourself and pander to right-wing weirdos and conspiracy theorists, most normal people are going to think that you're a clown Because you are a clown. So we'll leave that there. I don't know what to say. I don't know what Dave Chappelle was thinking. I don't know what Elon Musk was thinking. It's funny that he expected people to cheer for him. But no, most people don't like you, Elon Musk. Sorry, but it's true. And Dave Chappelle, pull your head out of your ass and maybe start being funny again.
3: You know, I'm the one person that is showing whether he's really uh, going to do complete full free speech on Twitter. You know, I'm like... Um, the canary in the coal mine, as they call it, I've heard.
0: You just heard from 20 year old Jack Sweeney, who runs the Twitter account that tracks the activity of Elon Musk's private jet. Now here's what Elon Musk said about that account on November 6th, quote, my commitment to free speech extends even to not banning the account following my plane, even though that is a direct personal safety risk. Fast forward to today and that account, you guessed it, has now been banned. Now prior to just outright banning that account. ElonJet was shadow banned. Jack Sweeney explained this in a December 10th thread, which reads, My Twitter files on the shadow banning and filtering of ElonJet. Internal messages obtained by an anonymous Twitter employee explained to me that on December 2nd, your account, ElonJet, was visibly limited and restricted to a severe degree internally. He then shared a screenshot from Twitter's VP of trust and safety requesting heavy visibility filtering for the account. Now, at the time that I record this video, Jack Sweeney's account is also you guessed it, now banned. So much for freedom of speech, right? Now, the Elon Jet account was not the only account that was shadow banned. I checked because you can actually check to see the status of your account. And there are a number of other accounts predominantly on the left that are indeed shadow banned. This includes the serfs, which was ghost banned, along with the National Rational, David Pakman, good politic guy, and even myself until that is it was reversed this morning for some reason. So this was never about freedom of speech for Elon Musk. Elon Musk is a socially awkward lonely simpleton who knows that you can actually get the applause that you've been searching for but never had your entire life by pandering to the far right. He tweets out dumb shit, they clap like seals, and he gets a dopamine rush. It's really that simple. And the best part about this for Elon Musk is that he doesn't even have to be likable or creative. He just says buzzwords that he knows they'll like and he gets the attention that he's been craving now for decades. For example, he tweeted out my pronouns are prosecute and Fauci and received 1.2 million likes. Now, after he was viciously booed at Chappelle's show in San Francisco, he coped by tweeting, the woke mind virus is either defeated or nothing else matters. And he received over 650,000 likes for that. But as Joshua Hill put it, hate to break it to you, but when the richest people on earth tell you the real problems are pronouns and wokeness, they are trying to distract you from something. And Joshua is exactly correct about that. The only people in the entire world stupid enough to not see through Elon Musk are members of the right-wing tribe that chose to adopt him as one of their own. But he doesn't even really care about their dumbass culture war. He's just pandering to them. He told them all to vote Republican, and then he didn't even vote himself in this last election, which is good, by the way. But it just goes to show you that he's doing what he's doing for applause, for attention, because he doesn't give a shit about their culture war issues. He only cares about maximizing profits. So he chose Republicans as his tribe in part because of that, but also because no one else is as gullible and unintelligent as these reactionary imbeciles. But normal people see through him because he is obviously a terrible person who isn't just a greedy oligarch, but he's a union buster. He exploits and abuses his own workers. But do you want to know who's willing to look past that? Well, QAnon. So after he tweeted a QAnon dog whistle, which was follow the rabbit, which is a reference to a QAnon rallying cry, the QAnon community immediately began celebrating again and again and again. In other words, the group who believes that there's this elitist cabal of pedophiles drinking the blood of children is ecstatic to learn that this guy pictured here with Ghislaine Maxwell, may be one of them. You can't make this shit up. So he knows which buttons to press to make the dum-dums applaud but he knows that normal people will never fall for his bullshit because, again, he is a terrible person. All 20 custodial workers at Twitter's San Francisco headquarters and 30 others that were furloughed without pay were laid off just three weeks before Christmas after the company's custodial contractor refused to rehire all of them. And the workers say it's because they're in a union and Elon Musk has a history of not liking unions. And they were fired the same day they began to strike, and many of them were immigrants from El Salvador or Yemen, And they relied on this job but elon musk took that away from them and additionally as in these times explains in mid-november musk instated an extremely hardcore work culture at twitter demanding 80 hour work weeks and prompting a wave of resignations janitors say that afterward some conference rooms in twitter's headquarters were converted into makeshift bedrooms and nurseries with mattresses blankets pillows and bedside tables But that's not all, because in order to cut costs, leaders at Twitter have even discussed not paying severance to the thousands of employees that the company has laid off. And as The New York Times explains, and Mr. Musk has threatened employees with lawsuits if they talk to the media and act in a manner contrary to the company's interest, according to an internal email sent last Friday. But if all of that wasn't bad enough, Elon Musk seemingly retaliated against Twitter's former head of trust and safety, Yoel Roth after he penned an op-ed in the New York Times, criticizing Musk's managing style. Now, Elon Musk seemingly retaliated by insinuating that Yoel Roth was a pedophile based on an out of context excerpt from his 2016 doctoral dissertation, which led to Yoel Roth getting death threats and even having to flee his home after Musk's posts were amplified by libs of TikTok. And I should remind you that this isn't the first time that Musk has baselessly accused someone of being a pedophile. And I can't stress this enough. This is the guy pictured here with Ghislaine Maxwell, who wants you to think that other people are guilty of pedophilia. So Elon Musk is a piece of shit. And he has to live with the fact that most people see him for what he is. He's a petty, narcissistic, uncharismatic loser who, even though he has more money than most human beings ever, he still can't buy the one thing that he desires the most, and that is appreciation, attention. But he can try to milk the far right. For a little bit of love and attention so long as he plays their greatest hits and speaks buzzwords to them because again this is the only sector of our entire society that is dumb enough to fall for an oligarch who doesn't care about them he just wants them to give him attention to make him feel special and appreciated so going back to the beginning of this video with jack sweeney getting banned and the elon jet account being banned this was never about freedom of speech for elon musk this was about elon musk trying to find ways to earn credibility among the far right, which is the only group of people in the United States who would accept his stupid ass. And that is incredibly pathetic and sad, but it's very much on brand for Elon Musk.
2: She is a corporate Democrat uh, who has, in fact, along with Senator Manchin, sabotaged enormously important legislation.
0: You just listened to a snippet of Senator Bernie Sanders see in an interview where he repeatedly dunks on Kirsten Cinema after he was asked about her decision to leave the Democratic Party. And I don't even like this being framed as a decision because really she had no choice. And we'll get to that. But he talks about why he believes she made this decision and he thinks that it's about political aspirations. Let's
2: listen. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time uh, on Senator Cinema. She has her reasons. Uh, Donna, I happen to suspect that it's probably a lot to do uh, with politics back in Arizona. I think uh, the Democrats there are not all that enthusiastic about somebody who helps sabotage some of the most important legislation that protects the interests of working families and voting rights and and so forth. So I think it really has to do with her uh, political aspirations uh, for the future in Arizona. But for us, I think nothing much has changed in terms of the functioning of the U.S. Senate.
0: He's not wrong. I do think that she has political aspirations and is deluded enough to believe that she could maybe run for president or governor of Arizona one day. But I think that ultimately this is about two things. One, she wants attention. And by doing this, she can get lots of attention, at least for a week or so while she's in the news cycle. But most importantly, she had no choice because the writing was on the wall. She couldn't survive a Democratic Party primary. And if she wanted to continue to have a political career. She had to pivot. A January Data for Progress poll found that she had a net negative 57 unfavorability among Democratic Party primary voters in her own state, and her ceiling against the potential primary challenger was 17 percent. So if she didn't do this, if she actually tried to compete in a Democratic Party primary, her career would be over. So running as an independent is the only shot that she has if she wants to stay in the Senate. Now, she is pretending as if she's doing this for altruistic reasons and really, you know, she, she's tired of the polarization and all this bullshit, but we know what this is about. But listen to the way she explains it to uh, Jake Tapper. She's so phony.
3: I know this is really hard for lots of folks, especially in DC. But what's important to me is to not be to not be tethered by the partisanship that dominates politics today. And I think Americans are tired of it. I think Arizonans are tired of it. What I'm interested in is working on all those issues that you just mentioned that I care deeply about and that I believe my constituents care deeply about. But I wanna work on them in a way that is productive, that is free from the trappings of the pull of the political system. You know, The national political parties have pulled our politics farther to the edges than I've ever seen. I want to remove some of that kind of that poison
0: from our politics. You are the poison, Kirsten Sinema but she pretends as if polarization is the worst issue ever in DC. Polarization is an issue that is likely going to continue to be a problem so long as we have one of two parties being undemocratic and fascistic, but really the true issue that she's not addressing is corruption in DC. This is why DC is so dysfunctional. As CNBC reports, even before Sinema was elected to the Senate in 2018, she supported private equity investors as a member in the House of Representatives. In 2016, Sinema. That the industry provided billions of dollars each year to mainstream businesses, according to the New York Times. Cinema won a coveted seat on the powerful Senate Banking Committee and made quick work of networking with and raising donations from the industry she would oversee. Since the start of the 2018 election cycle, she's raked in at least $2 million from the securities and investment industry, out Senate Banking Chairman Sherrod Brown's $770,000 in industry donations over the same time, according to the Federal Election Commission data analyzed by the nonpartisan campaign finance watchdog Open Secrets. Employees at private equity firms, Coburg Kravis Roberts, the Carlyle Group, and Apollo Global Management donated more than $95,000 combined to cinema from the 2018 election through the current 2022 election cycle, according to campaign finance data. So she's just corrupt. Period. We don't have to speculate further than that. She's been bought and paid for by the industries that she's representing. So she talks about Arizonans being her constituents, but we all know who her true constituents are. And let's be very clear about something. Most lawmakers in Congress are corrupt. They're very, very corrupt. They're bought and paid for by their corporate and billionaire donors. But the difference is that Kirsten Sinema is so brazen about her corruption. She's so in your face about her corruption that people see through it. They see that she's not representing them after they voted her in office. She's exclusively representing Wall Street and rich people, private equity firms. So when you're that corrupt, sometimes it backfires. Not often in the United States, but sometimes you get a little bit too in your face with corruption, a little bit too bold, and your constituents just don't like it. So that's why she's in the position that she's in currently, where she has no choice but to leave the Democratic Party because she would not survive a Democratic Party primary. So she can try to pretend as if this is about some principled move, but really this is about politics. This is about her trying to save her own ass after she pissed off the people who got her into power in the first place. So her only hope at this point is to bank on enough independents and Republicans in hope that they can propel her to victory. But... I don't know that that's going to pan out too well for her because if you are a republican voter would you go for the republican light or the real thing in arizona purple state odds are i think that they would probably end up supporting the actual republican but what she can do however is play spoiler in arizona and fuck over the democratic party so that's where we're at since the democratic party rejected her her constituents rejected her now what she's going to do is pay them back by sinking the Democratic Party's chances of retaining that seat in 2024. So she is the most slimy, most disgusting, most disingenuous, most phony politician in the United States. And nobody should believe a single word that she's saying because she is the definition of a fake sellout politician.
3: Today, a United States congresswoman, my aunt Vicky, started crying because gay people like me can get married.
1: I hope and pray that my colleagues will find the courage to join me in opposing this misguided and this dangerous bill, and I yield back.
3: So despite coming out to my aunt this past February, I guess she's still just as much as a homophobe.
1: Let's be clear, Obergefell is not in danger, but people and institutions of faith are.
3: Aunt Vicky, that's not right. Institutions of faith like religious universities are not being silenced. They're being empowered by the US government to discriminate against tens of thousands of LGBTQ students because of religious exemptions, but they still receive federal funding.
1: The bill's implications, submit to our ideology or be silenced.
3: It's more like you want the power to force your religious beliefs onto everyone else. And because you don't have that power, you feel like you're being silenced, but you're not. You're just gonna have to learn to coexist with all of us. And I'm sure it's not that hard.
0: You just listened to Andrew Hartzler, the nephew of homophobic Republican lawmaker Vicky Hartzler, who, as you all remember, cried on the House floor last week while urging her colleagues to reject a same-sex marriage bill. And everything that Andrew said to rebut his homophobic auntie's point was spot on. Now, it took a lot of courage for him to make that TikTok because this is not some distant relative who he never sees. He explains that he was very close with his auntie and you can tell that even though he came out to her, she's still deeply, deeply hateful and unfortunately for Andrew, a lot of his other family members, including his parents, shares the same homophobic views. So, He explained in an as-told essay published in Insider why he chose to finally call her out and it's because, really, he's been put through hell. So the article is titled, I called out my aunt, Representative Vicky Hartzler, after she made a homophobic speech in tears. Since surviving conversion therapy, I want people to know they don't have to accept the hateful rhetoric of those in power. And he explains, From a young age, I've heard, read, and seen what my aunt, GOP Representative Vicki Hartzler, has done to target my community, but I always felt like there was a boundary I should respect. I had grown up very close to my aunt, and after all, she was family. During my second year of college, however, my perspective changed when I came across a HuffPost article that revealed my aunt hosted a conversion therapy group at the U.S. Capitol in 2019. When I looked at a photo from the event, I was surprised. A conversion therapist that I used to see in high school after I came out to my parents was there. This is a person I would attribute a lot of my trauma to. I then realized that I couldn't ignore or justify the real-world consequences of her actions. When I saw the video on Thursday of my aunt crying on the house floor as she encouraged colleagues to vote against the Respect for Marriage Act, which will help protect same-sex marriage in the name of religious freedom, I was frightened. I decided to pick up my phone and respond." And that's when he made the TikTok that we just watched. Now, there's another TikTok that he made that I think is great that we're going to play at the end of this video, but he explains more of his story and it's genuinely so heartbreaking. So not only did he go to conversion therapy at a very young age after coming out to his parents, but he was then forced to suppress his true self and he had to come out a second time to his parents. He was sent away to a religious college where he was subjected to even more abuse so it's like gut punch after gut punch after gut punch and i have homophobic family members but none of them are as powerful as vicky hartzler thankfully so to see him come out at the end of this in a much more positive uh position is really encouraging and this story has a happy ending because he is taking action to take on the people abused him. So he continues here, When it was time to pick a university to attend in 2017, my parents, in an attempt to protect me in a safe little bubble of Christian-abiding people, sent me to Oral Roberts University. At this religious institution named after the famed televangelist, being gay was against the honor code. At the beginning of college, I decided that because I was in this all-Christian environment, I would give it one last chance to change and be straight and get my parents to accept me. That attempt lasted a semester. As a sophomore in college, I came out to my parents for the second time, which they initially took really hard. They've come a long way since then. They may get there one day or never be there, but I can't live my life hoping they will. I continued to navigate my religious university as a gay person, and it was very harmful to be in an environment where I felt like I had to conform to the university's standards. When I was a junior in high school, I was called into the dean's office for homosexual activity. After it was discovered, I had a boyfriend who attended a different school. I was subjected to conversion therapy type accountability meetings as they called it as a result these meetings consisted of lectures about holy sex and what constituted a godly relationship so let's just try to put this into context here he comes out of the closet is subjected to conversion therapy which is abuse by his parents then he comes out a second time and because he's at this college once again subjected to more abuse in the form of accountability meetings which is conversion therapy light seemingly based on how he describes it I mean, look, if I were him, I would absolutely disown my parents. I would never speak to them again, but it seems like he's a less bitter person than I am. But that's just, his parents should be begging him for forgiveness after all that they put him through. And he says that they've come a long way, but they're still not where they should be. So, I mean, it's astonishing to me that they're so hateful. They subjected their own child to torture and abuse and they still won't fully embrace him as if he's the one with the problem and not them. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But... The good news is that Andrew is done with the bullshit. And not only is he calling out his aunts on TikTok and exposing her, but he's part of a class action lawsuit to take on these universities that's taxpayer funded, by the way, that openly discriminate against students on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. Now, the class action lawsuit that he's a part of was spearheaded by the Religious Exemption Accountability Project. So this is him fighting back after this school abused him. And yes, that's what they did abusive they were trying to convince him that who he was was unholy was was bad was disgusting and that's not okay i'm sorry but if you're gonna take taxpayer money you shouldn't be allowed to discriminate i mean let's be clear you shouldn't be allowed to discriminate Period, you should be shut down entirely if you discriminate, but to take taxpayer dollars and do things like that, not acceptable at all. So I'm glad that he's part of this litigation, but let's get to the last TikTok that we're gonna play from him, uh, where he further exposes his auntie.
3: Ready for a little history lesson. So the year is 2003 and Massachusetts has just become the first state to allow same-sex marriage. So what does my aunt Vicky do? She championed an amendment to the Missouri Constitution, which specifically banned same-sex marriage.
1: How do you think that makes people, young people like me who are gay, feel about themselves, become a society that, to you know, us, things like doesn't value in the same way that it's people?
3: That was Alex, who confronted my aunt after a town hall meeting in June of 2011. Now, listen to my aunt Vicki's response. When this video was posted to YouTube when I was just barely 13, it literally changed everything for me. Because for the first time, someone had stood up to my aunt. And ultimately, that's why I did what I did. So thank you, Alex.
0: Good on you, brother. Look, self-love is a very powerful thing. And you can tell that he feels confident and he is now comfortable in his own skin, which is very hard to accomplish after it's been just drilled into your head that you should hate yourself. Hate, 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 hate. It's so hard to overcome that. A lot of people don't overcome that. But Andrew did. And he should really be proud of himself because what he has managed to accomplish where he's at right now Getting there is no small feat, and again, I speak from experience with homophobic family members as well. I too have uh, have a homophobic on that I had to disown, but not one who's powerful like that. So Andrew has been through hell and he's doing really good and he's fighting to make the world a better place. So I think that he should be proud of himself and I commend people like him because people like him are making the world a better place. They're trying to fight for a better future for LGBTQ plus people so they don't be subjected to to the same abuse that our generation was subjected to. So keep on fighting, Andrew, and we're right there with you. Talking Points Memo obtained thousands of text messages from former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. And even though none of this is surprising at this point in time, It gives us a very clear image as to how people in power specifically try to overturn the 2020 election and end democracy in the United States. They report, based on TPM's analysis, Meadows received at least 364 messages from Republican members of Congress who discussed attempts to reverse the election results with him. He sent at least 95 messages of his own. Meadows' text log shows what the scheme to reverse the election results looked like behind the scenes, revealing new details about which members of Congress helped spearhead the efforts and the strategies they deployed. The members who messaged Meadows about challenging the election included some of the highest profile figures on the right flank in Congress, such as Senator Ted Cruz, Representative Jim Jordan, and Representative Mo Brooks, all of whom are identified as playing leading roles in the effort to undo Trump's defeat. Now, other members of Congress also played roles, but not necessarily leading roles. Still, the text messages that they sent to Mark Meadows, are just chilling. What they're calling for is an end to U.S. democracy. I can't stress that enough. So here's what Ralph Norman sent to Mark Meadows just three days before Biden was set to be sworn in. This was on January 17th of 2020. He says, Mark, in seeing what's happening so quickly and reading about the Dominion lawsuits attempting to stop any meaningful investigation, we are at a point of no return in saving our republic. Our last hope is invoking martial law. Please urge to president to do so. Now, since he doesn't know what martial law is, given that he misspelled it, I'm thinking maybe he didn't necessarily know what he was calling for, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You just called for the president of the United States effectively to end democracy in the United States by suspending civil law and invoking military control, Also, you can install Trump as the president after he lost this election. This is a sitting member of Congress who's calling for this. But he's not alone because text messages between Mark Meadows and Marjorie Taylor Greene also sent on December 17th, showed that she was urging the same thing, and she claims that other lawmakers were also calling for Trump to do this. Rolling Stone explains, By January 17th, Green told Meadows that several Republicans in Congress wanted Trump to declare martial law. She, too, appeared to think giving power to the military was named after a person named Marshall. In our private chat with only members, several are saying the only way to save our republic is for Trump to call for martial law, Green wrote. Quote, I don't know on those things. I just wanted you to tell him they stole this election. We all know they will destroy our country next. Please tell him to declassify as much as possible so we can go after Biden and anyone else. More recently, Green told The New York Post's Zach Williams that if she and Steve Bannon had organized the January 6th attack on the Capitol, they would have executed a successful coup and would have been armed. So we have another sitting member of Congress urging the White House chief of staff, to tell the president to invoke martial law, take control by military force and end the U.S. democracy. And according to her, other Republicans wanted Trump to do the same thing. They're actually plotting a coup here. This is a violent overthrow of U.S. democracy by military force. This is what we're learning here. Now, there's other revelations. Other lawmakers were co-conspirators in trying to end U.S. democracy, but we don't have evidence that they explicitly called for martial law, as Marjorie Greene and Ralph Norman did. But what they did is still completely unacceptable. Lawmaker Brian Babin texted Meadows saying, Dear Mark, many of us as Republican House members want to help the president in any way we can to prevent the outright theft of this presidential election. That's ironic, considering that theft was their goal. Congressman Mark Green texted Meadows a Newsmax link and saying, Dick Morris is saying state legislature can intervene and declare Trump winner. North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin all have GOP legislatures. He's just saying, let's overturn the results in these states. Congressman Mike Kelly texted Meadows saying, we're in Philadelphia suing the Pennsylvania Secretary of State for her illegal meddling in this election, and I will continue to expose fraudulent actions. Let me know if there's anything I can do to fight these MFers in PA. So martial law wasn't the only strategy that they were utilizing to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Now, one more revelation that I want to get to here in an exchange between Brian Kilmeade of Fox News and Mark Meadows. Meadows relayed to Kilmeade that Donald Trump had a meeting before January 6th with 15 Republicans. Some of them were already sitting members of Congress, others like Marjorie Taylor Greene were just elected, hadn't served yet. But as Rolling Stone reports, that meeting was a strategy session to try to find ways to subvert the election. Among those members identified by the January 6th committee as having participated in the meeting were Representatives Jordan, Brian Babin, Andy Biggs, Matt Gates, Paul Gosar, Andy Harris, Jody Heiss, Scott Perry, and then Representative-elect Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah. And if you'll recall, after that meeting, Marjorie Taylor Greene posted a video bragging about the strategy session that she had with Donald Trump and others just out in the open talking about how they wanted to overthrow the election. And again, none of this is surprising, but just to see the behind the scenes conversations, the ways in which they wanted to end U.S. democracy is genuinely infuriating, considering that nothing legally has happened to these people. They're not in prison and they're still literally able to serve in Congress. Marjorie Taylor Greene, was able to run for re-election again after literally plotting to overturn the results of the last election. She was a co-conspirator, Ralph Norman calling for martial law, and they're still able to serve in Congress. We just don't value democracy as a country if we if we allow these people to hold on to power. Because people who threaten to overthrow the US government should not have power, but yet we allow them to serve. Do you want to know what countries who care about democracy do? They do what Germany did. As the New York Times explains, the plan was to storm the German capital, arrest lawmakers, and execute the chancellor. A prince descended from German nobility would take over as the new head of state, and a former far-right member of parliament would be put in charge of a national purge. To facilitate the coup, the electricity network would be sabotaged. Satellite phones to communicate off-grid had already been bought. This is what German prosecutors and intelligence officials say a nationwide far-right terrorist attack was plotting before 3,000 police officers and special forces fanned out across the country on Wednesday to raid 150 homes and arrest 25 suspected co-conspirators. They included an active-duty soldier, a former officer in the elite special forces, a police officer, and at least two army reservists. So in Germany, when they undercovered this coup plot, they took action and they arrested the co conspirators who were all plotting this coup. Now, some of the individuals were influenced by QAnon. The group who plotted this coup specifically was influenced by QAnon and also citizens of the Reich, which believes that Germany isn't a country, rather, it's a corporation that was set up after World War II by the Allied forces who won. But long story short, Germany saw that there were these people who were trying to overthrow democracy and they were all arrested. But in this country, we let coup plotters go on to serve multiple terms in Congress. It's because we just don't value democracy in this country as much as Germany values democracy, for example, because to allow these folks to run for office, it just shows you we're not that concerned about democracy. We're not that concerned about these co-conspirators who plotted with Donald Trump to end US democracy because we saw Marjorie Green, Ralph Norman, all these other folks in Congress today, making laws, influencing future elections. So it's infuriating to see these text messages, not because I'm surprised and shocked that people like Marjorie Taylor Greene would call for martial law or Ralph Norman would call for martial law. That's not surprising to me. But what is disappointing to me is how little we care as a country. These folks try to kill our democracy, remove our votes from us. And they're still in power. A new poll conducted by USA Today and Suffolk University finds that Donald Trump is actually in a lot of trouble. And no, I'm not referencing the legal trouble that he's in because he is indeed in a lot of legal trouble as well. But politically speaking, he is losing his status quickly as the GOP primary frontrunner. Who is he losing that status to? Well, you guessed it. Ron DeSantis, as USA Today explains, Republican support for Donald Trump's presidential bid in 2024 has cratered an exclusive USA Today, Suffolk University poll finds, as the former president is beleaguered by midterm losses and courtroom setbacks. By 2-1, to one, GOP and GOP-leaning voters now say they want Trump's policies, but a different standard bearer to carry them. While 31% want the former president to run, 61% prefer some other Republican nominee who would continue the policy. Trump has pursued. They have a name in mind. Two thirds of Republicans and those inclined to vote Republican want Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to run for president. By double digits, 56 percent to 33 percent, they prefer DeSantis over Trump. Holy shit. So I'm not sure if you can uh, smell that right now, but that is the smell of Donald Trump shitting himself as he reads this poll, because you know he reads the polls, right? He is hyper focused on polls. So he's going to see this and will he say that it's a fake poll, or will he try to readjust? Can he even readjust at this point? It's hard to say, but one question that's on my mind is, for all of these GOP primary voters that they're polling, What policies in particular from Donald Trump are they so enamored with? Because I'd bet that if you ask them, they couldn't name a single fucking policy. These are people who are fixated on the culture war and nothing else. They care about what bathrooms trans children are using and CRT. What policies do they support from Donald Trump? I bet you they wouldn't be able to name any. But what's happening is a bunch of people namely, if I'm being frank, the dumbest people in the American electorate are finally waking up and they're leaving one cult leader for another. Now, I I said before that the health and longevity of U.S. democracy will hinge on whether or not these imbeciles flee Donald Trump and opt for somebody else who isn't as clear and immediate as a danger to democracy. And it does indeed seem to be the case. Now, I'm not going to say that Ron DeSantis isn't dangerous because in a number of ways, I'd argue he's more dangerous than Donald Trump, but he hasn't yet sowed doubts about elections like Donald Trump has, as explicitly and loudly as Donald Trump has. So in terms of whether or not he'd try to steal an election in the brazen way that Trump did. That's yet to be seen. But if he were to actually be president, I do argue that Ron DeSantis would be leagues worse orders of magnitude worse than Donald Trump, because I think that he doesn't shoot himself in the foot as much as Trump does. And he's more effective at governing, whereas Trump is just kind of a showman. He talks shit and then has other people more smarter than him try to do his dirty work. Um, But it's not just that Donald Trump getting back to this poll, by the way is in danger of losing the GOP primary. But in the event he were to face off against Joe Biden, at least currently, Biden would clap his cheeks. Biden would win 47 to 40. That's a seven point difference. That is huge. However, in the event Trump were not in the equation and DeSantis were the one to face off against Joe Biden. Well, in that instance, DeSantis wins forty seven to forty three. So not only is the base turned off by Donald Trump, but now Republican propaganda outlets can make the case. Well, look, do you want to lose with Trump or win with DeSantis? This is about electability. Now, previously, based on what I've seen, it doesn't seem as if GOP voters are as receptive to, to the electability argument as Democratic Party voters are, because that was basically make or break. Joe Biden was seen as the more electable candidate in 2020, and voters opted for him over Bernie Sanders, even if politically they agreed with Bernie Sanders and they wanted Medicare for all. So will GOP voters make that calculation? That has yet to be seen. Now, what makes matters especially sad for Donald Trump in a hilarious way is that he announced his uh, 2024 campaign about four weeks ago now, and nobody seemingly cares. Nobody's really talking about it. And so much negative things have happened to him between now and And the time he announced. Mediaite breaks it down. Just a few days after Trump's campaign launch, Attorney General Merrick Garland announced the appointment of former Hague prosecutor Jack Smith as special counsel to investigate Trump regarding the efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election and the classified documents and other presidential records that were allegedly improperly taken to Mar-a-Lago. Also, Trump's endorsed candidates flopped in the November midterm elections with Herschel Walker's runoff election loss in Georgia, the sour cherry on top of a shit Sunday, depriving the GOP of a much anticipated red wave and fanning the flames of Republican unrest with their titular party head. The Trump Organization and the subsidiary company were found guilty of all 17 criminal charges brought by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. And then there was the November 23rd dinner at Mar-a-Lago that Trump hosted with Kanye West and Nick Fendt two people who were already notorious for their anti-Semitic comments. West, now legally known as Jay, spent the next few weeks spouting such a fire hose of bigoted nonsense that he was too nuts for conspiracy peddler Alex Jones, and his swastika tweet was too extreme for self-proclaimed free speech champion Elon Musk. In the four weeks since Trump's campaign launch, he's gotten entangled in all that trouble and scandal, but he hasn't had a single campaign event, reported Brett Samuels for The Hill. And that article didn't even mention his call to terminate the US Constitution. So, when you take a step back and you see everything that's transpired over the course of the last few months, he's endorsed weak candidates, attacked DeSantis, which the GOP base did not like. Uh, He called to terminate the Constitution. He's not holding campaign events, he's in legal trouble. I mean, at this point, I think it'd be more shocking if he won the GOP primary than lost it considering everything that's transpired, but it's still within the realm of possibility that he could win. And this is why I think it's stupid to count him out just yet, right? Because in the event we see Ron DeSantis and him on stage, DeSantis can faceplant. I think that even though Ron DeSantis is more savvy, and effective at governing as a fascist. He just doesn't have the charisma and the charm that Trump has. But Trump lately hasn't had that spark that made a lot of people love him back in 2015 and 2016. So we don't know what's going to happen. If DeSantis holds his own after that first debate, which we're likely to see over the summer, I think it's over for Trump. But DeSantis is kind of whiny, so I don't know how they're going to fare on that debate stage. I, I, I just don't know. But all things considered now, Trump's support has created. We're past the days of him being able to shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue and get away with it. Those days are long gone. He's no longer untouchable. He has scandals that have affected him. And he's kind of also his own worst enemy currently because he just can't shut the fuck up. So I don't know yet if the Trump era is over. But I've said this before, I'll say it again. If we are witnessing the end of the Trump era, this is certainly the beginning of it, because if he rebounds after this, then it will be a minor miracle, but we'll just have to wait and see. The state of Texas is already one of, if not the most hostile states in the country towards trans people, and they are quite literally turning American citizens into political refugees because of the laws that they are producing. But as if they weren't already hostile enough towards trans people, they now want a list of every single trans person within the state that transitioned within the last two years for a... reasons, I guess. The Washington Post explains employees at the Texas Department of Public Safety in June received a sweeping request from Republican Attorney General Ken Paxton's office to compile a list of individuals who had changed their gender on their Texas driver's license and other department records during the past two years. Quote, need total number of changes from male to female and female to male for the last 24 months broken down by month. The chief of DPS's driver license division emailed colleagues in the department on June 30 according to a copy of a message obtained by the Washington Post through a public records request. Quote, We won't need DL slash ID numbers at first, but may need to have them later if we are required to manually look up documents. Public records obtained by The Post do not indicate why the Attorney General's office sought the driver's license information, but advocates for transgender Texans say Paxton could use the data to further restrict their right to transition, calling it a chilling effort to secretly harness personal information to persecute already vulnerable people. Paxton's office bypassed the normal channels, DPS's government relations, and general counsel's offices and went straight to the driver license division staff in making the request, according to a state employee familiar with with it, who said the staff was told that Paxton's office wanted numbers and later would want a list of names as well as the number of people who had a legal sex change. Now this is downright dystopian and Orwellian and imagine for a second that a liberal attorney general wanted a list of conservatives for whatever reason. Do you think that that would go over well? No, they would rightfully say that's tyrannical and they're only going to use that list to persecute said conservatives. But when it's trans people, well, this is just this is fine. I mean, we know why Ken Paxton, a transphobe, wants a list of trans people so we can further target them. And what makes this story even creepier is that The Washington Post reached out to Paxton's office and asked for some of the documents that he had requested. And do you want to know what the response from his office was? There's no such records. So they're pretending like they didn't get a list from DPS. So in other words, he wants this list of trans people's names in Texas, and he doesn't want to tell anyone what he's going to do with that information. Needless to say, this is fascism. And this is reminiscent of Hitler's black book, which contained the names of 3000 Brits that Hitler intended to round up after the Nazis had invaded the UK. And in a Vice documentary, one family in particular with a trans child that may have to flee the state, I think put it best.
3: Because my grandparents are Holocaust survivors, because my grandfather fought in the resistance, my grandmother survived Auschwitz. That language of calling on everyday citizens and mandated reporters to report families with trans youth to the authorities felt eerily reminiscent of that directive from the Nazis to report Jewish families to the authorities. This is this is white Christian nationalism. This is fascism.
0: And she's exactly right about that there. This is fascism, 100%. Now, we don't necessarily know how he's going to use this list specifically, but he's gonna use it for bad things. He's going to use it to further marginalize an already vulnerable community but given texas's history of persecuting trans youth that kind of gives us an indication as to what they want to do to trans adults and for those of you who are unfamiliar with what they've been doing in the state on september 16th the texas tribune reported in february following a non-binding legal opinion from attorney general ken paxton governor greg abbott directed the department of family and protective services to investigate parents who provide gender-affirming care to their transgender children the texas supreme court 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 had ruled that Abbott had no grounds to direct DFPS to investigate these families, but overturned a statewide injunction on procedural grounds. The American Civil Liberties Union and Lambda Legal brought another lawsuit after the first injunction was overturned, seeking protections on behalf of all members of PFLAG. Travis County District Judge Amy Clark Meacham granted that injunction Friday, three months after hearing arguments. Now, Greg Abbott passed that directive where he told Child Protective Services to investigate families with trans children for child abuse and made any other citizen in Texas a mandatory reporter after the Texas legislature failed to pass a law criminalizing gender-affirming care for trans youth. So like the tyrant that he is, he bypassed the legislature to unilaterally overstep his own power and force these families to be investigated as if they're doing something wrong by simply seeking out medical care for their children. It's genuinely tyrannical, but this is the state of Texas. Now back to the driver's license issue and the names that Ken Paxton wants. Well, one trans woman who's 35 years old, her name is Alexis Salkeld Garcia. She just changed her name a year and a half ago on her driver's license and her gender. So she's one of the individuals who could be on Ken Paxton's list. And she spoke to The Washington Post, and I think reasonably so. She said this is terrifying news because how is this going to be used against her? She doesn't want cops to know that she's transgender because they may abuse her. Hence why she immediately changed her gender on her driver's license right away. But now, will they have this information? what exactly is going to come of this? We actually don't know, but we can expect nothing but negative from this. So it's genuinely disturbing that in a populous state like Texas, anyone who's transgender is just automatically public enemy number one because this state government has deemed them the enemy. And the election at this point in time is over. So you can't chalk this up to them trying to throw red meat to the base even though this is indeed going to do that this is them genuinely trying to do what they believe is good and that is persecute this vulnerable community it's just devastating and if you are a trans person in texas and you have the resources to leave, you should do that. But it's easier said than done because trans people oftentimes don't have a lot of resources and especially trans people of color because sometimes they're in these economic situations where they're rejected by their families, they're kicked out, they become unhoused, and then they don't have anything. So what do you do if you're in this hostile environment and you need to get out but you can't? That's a question that a lot of trans people are probably asking themselves in Texas, but certainly if you know someone in Texas who is trans, then reach out, protect them, let them know that you're there for them, because this is a really horrifying time in American history for trans people, and it's not like there was ever a period in America where LGBTQ plus people, especially trans people, were 100% safe, but now things are getting scary to the point where They have to flee states because of the persecution that they're facing by these right-wing tyrants but this is completely unacceptable but unfortunately pretty expected for a state like texas which has become a shithole in the united states
1: want more visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on youtube means tv and facebook you can also find audio versions of the show on spotify apple podcasts soundcloud iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms and before you go consider supporting the show on patreon or through youtube memberships you'll get early access to most videos invites to monthly live chats with mike and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode there are other ways to support the show you can like subscribe turn on notifications and share our content on social media